Hey everyone, welcome back to the 443 Security Simplified. I'm your host, Mark the Liberty, and joining me today is... Corey, I haven't thought about it, not Grainer. There you go. Story of his life. Oh, anyways, on today's episode, we will be discussing an alert from our favorite four-letter agencies before diving into Soviet Russia and their latest interactions in cybercrime. And then ending with a, a pretty big win from the Department of Justice in the world of cryptocurrency. Uh, with that, let's go ahead and uh, jump on in, for lack of a better word. So let's start this week with an update from our favorite four-letter agency, and I guess a few other four-letter agencies. You know, I'm realizing there's a lot of four-letter agencies spread around the world that tend to band together and put out reports with fellow four-letter agencies uh, without any additional stalling, though. And if you put them all together, they're probably called the Five Eyes. <laughs> you know, it's actually there's accurate, There's a name for it, right? <laughs> <laughs> yep. The Five Eyes. Anyways. Uh, last Wednesday, the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA, four-letter agency number one, uh, the U.K.'s National Cybersecurity Center, with center spelled British-wise, uh, that's NCSC. Nixic! <laughs> it's the Queen's English, with the four-letter agency number two. Uh, Australian Cybersecurity Center, also with center spelled funny, uh, ACSC. Uh, Axic. Yes, four-letter agency number three, all banded together like a troop of Avengers and issued a joint report on an increased in sophisticated high-impact ransomware incidents uh, against critical infrastructure globally. Dun-dun-dun, cue the Avengers music. I wonder if we can do that without getting copyright taken down. But anyways. So I think this is a good report, but I got to say it's essentially... Hey, everyone, ransomware is a big deal right now, and people are exploiting it around the world. <laughs> exactly. Yes. So. Oh, really? Moving on to the next topic, then. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, let's. Uh, I mean, there is some. I mean, as there is a couple of new things in this. I, I would suggest we've talked about a lot of it, but there's one in particular that is a slight change yep. in even the topic I've covered. So, if you want to follow along as we are reading this uh, under CISA, this is filed as Alert AA twenty two zero four zero A. Um, I'm sure the other four-letter agencies have their own versions of this with other tracking things, but basically... Really all... easy to remember URLs. Yes, correct. Um, but banding together uh, around the world, these organizations have decided now is the time to, yet again, discuss the threat of ransomware against critical infrastructure. Uh, so basically, they pointed out that uh, CISA and these other organizations observed incidents involving ransomware against 14 of the 16 defined critical infrastructure sectors. Uh, so things like uh, higher education, healthcare and medical, energy, transportation, these are all predefined uh, critical infrastructure areas where you know, some of these organizations are designed specifically to look for threats targeting. By the way, a little learning to me, like this was predefined. It's nothing new, but higher education was not one I kind of had on my common sense list. The the, re, the It's actually higher education and research. The research part I kind of get, and I get high, high, higher education is critical, by the way. I just somehow, when I think of critical in infrastructure, I think of things that have immediacy 
and like uh, mucking up higher education is bad, but the the effects would take longer. You know what I mean? It's not something that immediately has downtime. So, anyways, just it was news to me that higher education is on that list. And actually, so, this is interesting. If people, I think know. this is a good tangent we can actually take for a little bit. Like the only reason I knew about these sixteen different sectors is I actually gave a presentation last year for one of our partners. Uh, on securing critical infrastructure. So I had to do a bit of research at that point in time to figure out what these defined ones were. But it turns out like CISA has defined 16 specific uh, verticals that they consider critical infrastructure. And there's the obvious ones in there, uh, like energy is we always talk about, you know, Ukraine's power grid getting hacked or uh, people probing the US power grid. Like obviously energy is a critical infrastructure. and other ones, though, like, um, for example, transportation, that's another one that's kind of an obvious one. But like outside that, there are some ones that are a little less obvious, like food and agriculture. When you think about it, yes, that is obviously a critical infrastructure, but you don't think of doesn't immediately come to mind. You don't think yeah. of North Korea hacking your farm, basically. Um, but yeah. it is still critical infrastructure. Uh, financial. As, it's a J, JBM or JBL, as, as we learned when meat production JBS. was affected. Close enough. (laughs) There we go. Uh, Financial sector, financial services is another one where, you know, when you think about it, yes, that is obviously one of targeting potentially our ability to uh, transact financial data, targeting the stock exchanges that would cause damages to the United States. Emergency services is an obvious one. Uh, dams as its own one was kind of interesting. I figured that would have been. Yeah, that is. Into... I, I thought it would be an energy. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. But I guess there but are. I guess non- there's other reasons dams, for dams too. Right. Yeah. Which would those not just be bundled into like potentially food and agriculture? But anyways. No, no, because I assume in that case, any damage that might cause the dam to break might. I, it could be a dam to protect lands from being like houses from literally being overrun by water. So breaking the dam could literally do physical damage maybe That'd i don't be a, a but yeah damn big incident though <laughs> <laughs> pun pun intended or whatever <laughs> but basically there's these 16 different sectors where they define it as something where the physical or virtual or they they have some sort of importance to the united states where anything that would impact them would have massive ramifications for the actual country and so cisa's job is like we get a lot of alerts from them on, you know, just protecting private organizations that aren't necessarily in these sectors. Um, But their primary job is to um, provide guidance and security, I guess, security guidance for critical infrastructure and industrial control or industrial in general. Um, So tangent finished. Um, Let's move back to AA22040A, which was, again, a discussion about ransomware targeting mainly critical infrastructure, uh, but really with parallels that can be drawn to any vertical whatsoever. Um, So in this report, they had a few key findings that I thought were interesting. Uh, First is like stuff that we have talked about where they noticed that the three main vectors for infection or main vectors for attack for ransomware basically boil down to phishing, brute force or stolen RDP credentials, and vulnerabilities, which on the face of it is, I feel like a big duh, like, these do seem to be across not just ransomware, but cyber attacks in general. I feel like typically leverage either phishing attacks to gain credentials or trick you into installing a, a dropper, uh, brute forcing or using stolen credentials for insecure remote access. 
or just straight up exploiting yeah. a vulnerability I, in order to get on. This I thought I, we've talked about this before, so it wasn't uncommon knowledge. I do feel of the three, the most uh, is exploiting like phishing and remote desktop protocol. Those are two pretty specific things that help you at least it, for the normal user. They just want to know what's the main thing I need to look out for and phishing. Definitely. We've all said that for a long time and RDP. We repeatedly, it's one of our predictions, by the way, will be a target. The only joke I have with exploiting vulnerabilities is that that's like everything else. (laughs) I mean, it's literally taking advantage of any flaw there is in the software. So you're pointing out two really specific things that are trends that are important for people to know because they can take real action. It, exploiting vulnerabilities is true, by the way. I'm not joking that it's wrong. It's just funny because it's it just pretty much covers almost everything. I guess what, but I guess the so takeaway insider is threats would be one that isn't. So like maybe you don't have to worry about your own employees installing ransomware on your systems. That, that's a good point. Uh, I, I wondered one thing we do here that is happening more. It's not in. There are at least rumors of some ransomware groups getting insiders by offering to pay them pretty significant amounts of the ransom they're going to get to the employee in order to get them to do that. But to your point, while we're hearing of that, this just proves it's not the top trend. It's likely a small niche thing. Yeah, at least not yet. But anyways, nothing's wrong. All of this is good advice. I just think it's much easier to to act on the phishing and the remote desktop protocol. Although I guess exploiting vulnerabilities, it is easy to act on too, because it all translates down to patching. (laughs) Make sure you are patching. 100%. Uh, Another takeaway, so ransomware as a service became increasingly more popular in 2021. Uh, They pointed out uh, what we've talked about a few times, that some of these quote unquote service providers are even offering 24 by seven help centers to expedite ransom payments and encrypted data restoration. So it seems like the commoditization of ransomware really has had an impact of just lowering the bar to the point where all you have to be able to do, you don't have to code in order to infect someone with ransomware now. You just need to be good at social engineering and not even necessarily good, just, you know, good enough in order to trick a few people. Yeah, and as it. you said, we've talked about this. I think the other side of this is besides making it easier for non-sophisticated criminals, I think it's also a fantastic way... It, by the way, a malicious but fantastic way for the real people behind ransomware to protect themselves. They're basically getting all the affiliates that use their ransomware as a service to be their mules. Like they get the the they get at least 20, if not 40% of the proceeds for their malware, but they technically aren't hijacking the computers. <laughs> Right. So it's uh, it's unfortunately an ingenious bad guy method to kind of make sure someone else gets blamed. for Definitely. It doesn't leave them immune from litigation, but it does make them less in the spotlight. If you're the person that is hacking Kaseya and deploying ransomware, like you are obviously individual number one, they're going to go after. Doesn't mean that the person that wrote the ransomware is totally immune. Like just ask Marcus Hutchins about what happens when you write the malware that someone else uses like poor guy i mean luckily he didn't well, i guess he did spend a bit of time in jail but luckily he didn't go to prison for it but anyways still ransomware as a service it, it does not feel like it is going anywhere because like you said it's it makes it easy for like the malware authors makes it easier for non-technical individuals like it's, it makes it easier across the board to launch these attacks um another thing they pointed out though that ransomware threat actors are actually sharing their victim information too so they had a few specific instances they pointed out like when black matter shut down they actually transferred all of their existing victims to lockbit 
in October of last year, uh, Conti began selling access to their victim networks for follow-up attacks. So basically, not only are you getting hit with ransomware, but the knowledge that you may be victim to the style of attack or access to the, the botnet that delivered the ransomware are all becoming additional things that these ransomware threat actors are selling on the underground to other organizations. Um, that's something where like conceptually it makes sense, but it wasn't something I had necessarily thought about until reading it there. So interesting seeing that. Um, they also noted that, uh, so here's one interesting takeaway. So after the FBI ran some of their disruption campaigns in mid 2021, they actually observed in the United States, at least, uh, that ransomware threat actors moved away from some of these big game ransomware attacks back towards mid-sized victims to reduce scrutiny. Now, this wasn't backed up with the NCSC or ACSC with what they saw in their own countries, but at least in the U.S., it feels like those big takedowns that we saw after those big incidents actually had a an impact on operations within our country. Which least. would be great. And by the way, this was the one thing I alluded to that was kind of the the newish thing. to Everything in this is, is stuff I think we've talked about, you and me, Mark. But I've also made a point of at least uh, last year and early this year talking. Well, actually, it was mostly last year. We made a theme of big game ransomware being where it was. And that's because that was where it was. So seeing a, a, a government agency that has probably a better view of network traffic around the country saying that uh, big game ransomware is, is dropping and mid-sized companies need to be aware is a good thing to know. Uh, it doesn't mean big game, you know, large companies can't relax, uh, but mid-sized companies need to realize that they're not immune to this either. And frankly, to, to try to, it, it's a common tactic uh, it used to be the case that to, to get on the FBI cybercrime radar, the damages of the, the issue had to be around $5,000. That was kind of the, the secret thought on what it takes to get attention. So a lot of criminals would actually go after many small amounts or many small victims. So it certainly makes sense that from a high level that now that some big ones were shut down, bad guys are trying to keep under the radar a little. But that was new to me, and it's a change of what we were talking about heavily yep. last year. Um, also, so they saw an increase towards use of triple extortion. Uh, so by now, we're all familiar with the double extortion of not only encrypting your files, but also stealing them and threatening to sell them on the dark web if you don't pay the ransom demands. Uh, they actually noted three different types of that third extortion that they saw in some of these incidents. So one of them is uh, publicly releasing the sensitive information. Another is disrupting your internet access, so just denial of service attacks or using their existing inf infection to prevent you from using the internet. And then also informing your partners, shareholders, and suppliers about the incident. So all these different ways where even if you do have good disaster recovery, there's still a chance that they may be able to convince you in order to paying that ransomware extortion, unfortunately. Doesn't mean you should, but they're trying definitely. Like You can tell that like organizations have focused a lot now on having those disaster recovery plans so attackers are having to evolve in order to still convince you into paying. Uh, also, they noted an increase in targeting clouds resources, either to deny access to those resources or encrypt your backups or prevent access to your backups. Um, a few They noted both compromised credentials to gain access to that, but also compromising on-premises systems and then moving laterally to cloud resources in order to hit them there. That too. part was slightly interesting to me only because me and Mark often have the opportunity. We often do security predictions every year 
And they are for a specific year. And sometimes, like last year, we only get 50%. But long run, a lot of our predictions come true. And there was a year, I, I can't remember if it was three or four years ago, but we actually talked about ransomware targeting the cloud. Uh, and uh, we that one was one I think was a miss for the year we predicted it. We didn't see a lot of attempts there. But clear example of how these predictions are trends that we are seeing happen and will probably come true eventually if people don't do anything. So... They are targeting the cloud yep. now. And then last big takeaway was that they did see ransomware increasingly target managed service providers and software supply chain organizations, which we saw last year, plenty of giant shining examples of that. But even outside of the big ones, like there's still plenty of the smaller ones that still fly under the, at least the, the public knowledge radar. There are many too. beyond the Kaseya attack and the others that we, we actually have covered this one because MSPs are our partners, we really value them. They work through us. Uh, we watched this start way back in 2019. And and by the way, CISA and, and the government warned about it even the year before the first uh, ConnectWise plugin issue, let alone the Kaseya attack. So uh, the government's been on it. And because of that, we've been talking about it for a while. Yep. So when it came to mitigations and recommendations, again, it's Stuff that if you've been listening to our podcast, you are hopefully following, but potentially there's still organizations out there that need a helping hand through some of this. Like basically they recommend keeping all your systems up to date. So patching, uh, securing and monitoring RDP and other risky services closely, um, phishing awareness training for your employees, requiring MFA is another big one. Even with MFA, requiring strong and unique passwords. Uh, one more technical one they pointed out was if you're a Linux shop, uh, making sure you're using security modules like SE Linux, AppArmor, or SecComp in order to protect those systems against code execution and other privilege elevation. I thought that was great. Yep. And a lot of those, just so you know, are hardened or are for sure use some of the memory layout protection mechanisms or Chirrut things. They're, they're just plugins that really harden Linux systems. Yep. And then also segmenting networks. So basic zero trust architectures can help a lot too. So overall, like kind of a high level alert that they sent out, um, but still some interesting this, takeaways. Yeah. I think this is a great informational thing CISA is doing. Like they, they don't mean for this to be grant. They've been talking, they just like us have been talking about all of these things over time in their releases about various exact ransomware. This is more the post of Here's all the trends. Let us summarize all the things and repeat so you guys that might need a little help do it. I also appreciated little, like, you hear us on the podcast because we're just talking in times of things, say, go patch your systems. But they even mention int int intricacies that are important. Like, it's not just patching. It's there's end of life software. There's It's very regular for a company to not realize right away that they might be using a software solution that's out of life, it's not going to get patches. So making sure you get rid of that so that you have software that is patchable is important. They talk about some of the issues with patching third-party libraries, you know, log4j, all, you know. So yes, patching is the overall quick tip, but they do go into some of the details on the little intricacies of making sure there's parts of patching you don't mit miss. And they do that for a lot of these, these uh, pieces of advice. Uh, Mark gave. So it's definitely worth a read. Uh, I don't think it's meant to be brand new information. They're just kind of consolidating the overall trend and the overall security advice that they and every security 
company has been giving for a while around this because unfortunately we see it continuing to succeed against some victims. Do you ever see us in the future without ransomware, Corey? I, I hope. I like keep on saying, man, if you, once you take the money away, the attacker is going to go away. So it all hinges on not paying anymore. And the only way businesses are not going to pay is if they actually do the due diligence to make sure that they are recoverable so that they don't have to. I, I get double extortion and all that, but still, <laughs> do the right thing. People will pay less, and as they make less money, the criminals will try to find something else to make money besides ransomware. So I, I do see a light at the end of this. I know I just think a lot of folks have to start to do better. I'm not looking forward to see where they do go after we solve the ransomware yeah. <laughs> issue. That is the thing I don't, as is, is positive as I try to be, this is a... Defense has always been a cat and a mouse game throughout many aeons of history. So just because one type of attack goes away doesn't mean something new will happen one day. But I mean, I guess segue into our next story, at least some or, or some countries historically where some of these cyber criminals have had free reign to do whatever the heck they want are finally cracking down on some of their citizens within their borders um, to that end. Uh, Russia has actually continued its crackdown on cybercrime with the arrest of six men accused of operating various carding forums, including ones like Trump Stumps, which I was not aware of existed, but that's a clever name, uh, Ferrum Shop, Sky Fraud, and UAS. Uh, so as part of this takedown, Russia's Department K, which is a division of their Ministry of Internal Affairs, actually replaced their these forums' homepages with a message with a bit of a snarky um posting to anyone else out there saying which one of you is next which i thought was interesting um but long story short like russia actually went and arrested a bunch of their own citizens for running cybercrime forums which historically is not something that has happened typically if you steer clear of hacking russian citizens or uh, trading stolen russian data within russia's borders borders they kind of turn a blind eye towards you um now, how they actually located these individuals uh, looks like uh, some researchers at Flashpoint actually found that all of the domains seized by Department K were registered and hosted through one of the arrested individuals' companies uh, called GetNet LLC. Um, but interesting, interesting turn of events here. Uh, this is actually not the first time recently that Russia has gone after their own citizens. Now, if you remember last month, we actually discussed several carding marketplaces that were willingly shutting down, including the largest one at the time, which was UN, uh, UN, UNICC. Well, it turns out a week after we did that episode, Russia's uh, Federal Security Service, the FSB, arrested an individual named Andrei Novak, uh, who was actually the administrator of UNICC on charges of computer crimes and money laundering. Uh, Novak had actually been wanted by the FBI since 2018 for running the infraud cybercrime forum, but even Russia went and picked him up. So this is a new trend that seems to be continuing of Russia actually going after their own citizens. What do you what do you think the reason is for this, Corey? Like, why? Why now? Couldn't possibly be because there's a lot of uh, other interesting geopolitical situations going on in Russia that they're trying to save face from. It's hard to answer that question, Mark, without saying right away, my opinions represent only Cory Knocker. Right? This is not WatchGuard, but correct. this is all speculation. But obviously, podcasts like us, which are based on 
news that everyone reads, the government reads, we, we all know that Russia is a safe haven for ransomware authors and the world has complained about it. Uh, we've complained about it. Uh, big issues like, uh, J you know, JBS, uh, all the big ransomware issues that have happened, including one to a colonial pipeline, Russian-based criminals that we couldn't access and the whole world is saying, hey, Russia, why are you this crappy safe haven? With all the political events going on, this might be Russia's way. Like, I, I don't know how sincere this is, but it's Russia's way of saying, fine, here, we're going to do this. So, you know, <laughs> now now you don't have anything against us. So, you know, maybe you should let us own Ukraine. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what their motive is. At the surface, this is a good thing. This is a good thing. Uh, it's hard to know if Russia really wanted to take down because really historically they've just done the opposite. Russia would maybe take down any external form that was creating ransomware targeting Russian citizens. I tell you what, if there's ransomware that also is affecting Russian citizens and Russian companies, they had no problem taking it down. This is this is unusual, and they're taking down forums that didn't seem to be targeting Russia. They were just targeting countries. So it's a very good thing. I presume it's based on pressure other governments around the world have, have put on them for the same reasons we stated before when we claim they seem to be a safe haven for criminals. Again, it's not state-sponsored ransomware, but Russia just didn't seem to be prosecuting them. And I do think it's, you know, you hinted political things are going on well beyond this. And maybe this is their good faith of one showing one thing, you know, conceding to one thing to try to get compromise in another thing. I don't know. It's really hard to figure out the sincerity. But if you take it on the face, it's it's a good thing. On the face, like, it's, it is a good thing. Like, they are arresting criminals and shutting down criminal marketplaces. So that is a net benefit to society. And even if you do take it with a grain of salt of what their actual motive is for it. It's still a good thing. And it's good seeing them continuing a, at least if it's only a month and a half long trend, still a month and a half long trend of them yeah. kind of cracking down on this. And I hope it continues. Absolutely. I will say, and I hate to be a, the party pooper, but most security experts agree. Even when we get this good news, the, the real good news is carding won't, or the, the, the bad news associated is this won't go away. What, what happens when there's takedowns is, smaller forms that are not as well known and maybe chump change ones suddenly be, get more interest because the big one's gone and they tend to take over some of the business. So uh, it, it's not that this will totally go away. It will move somewhere else, but you have to constantly take them down. And the more you do, the harder and harder it is for the bad guys. I will say the other thing with carding is uh, overall, this type of monetization is just lowering in general because of the security we have on on you know chip and pin cards and stuff like that you know where where this type of crime still wins is the card not present transactions and that's why you'll probably see the continuation of targeting e-commerce frameworks like MageCard and stuff like that so uh, but I, other than the card not present transaction which i think the industry is also going to start to find uh you know, defenses for carding in general is just becoming less profitable, I think, for the bad guys. Yeah, it makes sense. And even with those, you mentioned the Magento stuff like uh, or MageCart. Mage uh, Magento, the the platform that MageCart targets actually just had another rash of I thought it was like 
Yeah. I, I want to say like 33,000 or something websites recently that just got hit with another round of it. Like, yep. it is still that does seem to be the, the last remaining frontier for these kind of carding forms and credit card information thieves, because it is the only place that you can do a lot of these transactions reliably. By the way, the, the one thing I, I wish I didn't have to see or read when even if I'm reading good news is anytime there's something about Trump dumps, especially when they use terms like Trump big massive dumps, <laughs> even though I know that's not at all what it, your mind goes, <laughs> the reality of what that means isn't what you think. But unfortunately, that's where my mind goes. And I, I didn't really want it. Thankfully, to. it is offline. I w- One little aside, and this is more rumor mill for the security insiders, this is absolutely not a carding form, and it's actually probably one of the more high-level, what I mean, it's not the super underground, it's kind of a a false underground, but there's a well-known underground called Raid Forms. Uh, They mostly deal in leaked database stuff and other stuff. I don't think they do a lot of carding and there's a lot of non-criminal stuff there too, but there's hacking and and definitely leaks and password breaches and stuff for sale there that is illegal. It's down right now. It's been down for two days. Uh, There's some mysterious uh, Twitter post about the owner of the site being attacked by a bear or something. (laughs) I, I think that's just some weird joke. But it is interesting with all these takedowns to see raid forms not responsive for a few days. It is very interesting. And especially since like even some of these carding forum shutdowns, they started out as like them voluntarily taking themselves offline. And then within a week, the administrators getting arrested. So a lot of this activity was I mean, they weren't necessarily selling stolen credit cards on raid forums, but they were certainly trading malware and selling breach databases. So. Ah, interesting. Uh, we'll see where that ends up. Maybe they did actually get eaten by a bear, in which case that's sad, and I hope they recover quickly. Apparently, but... there's only one side admin or one main side admin, and and <laughs> I, I didn't read the tweet in detail. I didn't have time, but <laughs> it, it was uh, a It wasn't weird a tweet. bear. It was a mountain lion attack. <laughs> oh, sorry. I got my teeth animals it, yes. wrong. Uh, <laughs> he is currently on life support after fighting a mountain lion is the uh the tweet so take that with a grain of salt <laughs> yeah i i did i couldn't tell if that was a joke or <laughs> anyways i if he is injured hope he recovers but uh, yeah interesting seeing raid forums go down because that is like basically when you hear news about a data breach it's almost always found because of a post on raid forums so interesting seeing that go down there's a few others that are more password protected but they tend to leak the raid forms too it's pretty well known so moving on though to our last story uh the u.s justice department had a very big win this last week when they announced that they had seized 3.6 billion dollars in stolen cryptocurrency and arrested two individuals that are believed to have been responsible for hacking the buy finax cryptocurrency exchange back in 2016 Uh, So the husband and wife from New York City are accused of stealing and attempting to launder 119,000 bitcoins that were originally worth $70 million in 2016, uh, but are now valued at around $4.5 billion. Uh, They spent the last five years trying to launder 25,000 of those bitcoins using a bunch of different means like setting up fictitious identities to then set up online accounts at exchanges Uh, chain hopping so trading bitcoin for a more privacy focused cryptocurrency like monero uh, depositing and then withdrawing from accounts at various exchanges and dark web marketplaces but in the end 
the IRS Criminal Investigation Cybercrimes Unit was able to unravel all this money laundering and trace the transactions back to the couple, uh, where they then were able to get a court order to access the husband's cloud storage account, where they found a file with 2,000 wallet addresses and the associated private keys from which they were able to recover 94,000 bitcoins. So that's a lot to swallow, but first off, $4.5 $4.5 billion. I guess they recovered $3.6 billion. That is such a massive haul in cryptocurrency. It's interesting seeing them getting that back. And then B, what, I wonder what the OPSEC fails were for this couple. Like it honestly, this, this whole thing reads of, you know, they found a vulnerability and stole the money. And then they're like, crap, what do we do with it now? And they had no idea what to do to the point where they were able to be tracked down and arrested. I don't know about OPSEC, Mark. I've, I've, I haven't done the full deep dive into this, but I've I've seen a bit about Heather Morgan and she she also raps on YouTube and does silly oh. dances and was very public and I I just don't imagine there's someone they didn't seem like someone that would follow OPSEC with the way they were kind of being publicly flaunting of things. I, I I don't think they realize, I think they might have believed the fact that cryptocurrency, or at least one of them did, that it's untraceable when it's entirely the opposite. It's right. Uh, I What I like about this story is it, sh- I mean, cryptocurrency is traceable. It's literally a public ledger in, me- ledger in many cases. Uh, I guess there are some that are decentralized, but. And, and maybe not public, but if it's the right one, it's a public ledger. The hard part is just tracing it through all the places it's bouncing and starting to identify wallet owners. But there are now entire companies, and it's it's obvious the the, the lawyers, we, we've known how to track physical cash for a long time, even though that's very complex too and can get bounced through all kinds of dummy accounts. Well, it feels to me like the law has caught up with cryptocurrency and their fintech people are perfectly capable of tracking these transactions too. So, and it, it's really not surprising to me that it's used for laundering. I, I mean, I I know if you search the internet, you'll find Forbes articles and you'll find many, many articles by the people who have benefit of pushing cryptocurrency like Coinbase telling you how uh, the majority of cryptocurrency being used for illicit activity is completely false and it's mostly good stuff. I don't know though, man. I mean, think of all the crap we've just seen. I, I will concede there's probably about $3 trillion in cryptocurrency right now. And uh, $4.5 billion might sound like a lot, but it's actually 0.1% of $3 trillion. So it's not even a full percent. But that's one of the, it is the biggest uh, recovery, but this is just one of the many illicit events we've seen over and over. And the other thing with money laundering is the uses for that cryptocurrency are usually, the, the money laundering is usually trying to get illicit gains to have legitimate transactions so that you clean the fact that you've stolen it. (laughs) So I actually think money laundering could account for a huge illicit activity that we think there's all these legitimate transactions. It's criminals scrubbing big, big sums of money. Uh, Doesn't surprise me. You can, you, you guys all wait, are you saying that NFTs are, are not just, you know, people spending millions of dollars for cat pictures on the internet. There might be some ulterior motives. <laughs> well, on <there>. Maybe <laughs> who knows? 
By the way, as I joked in one of our team's channels, if any of you out there want to buy NFTs, you should just send me money. Uh, you'll get the same result. By the way, I won't send you anything in return, but you'll have the same result. But you'll have the benefit of on the public blockchain saying, having a record saying, I sent Corey money, yeah. which is effectively the equivalent of any... God, man, I, I got to stop. One of these days, I'm going to piss off the wrong person with my sarcastic comments about how stupid this whole ecosystem is. One day we will look... Actually, we won't because we keep on mentioning there will be digital money in the future. It may be blockchain. Uh, by the way, there might be one day... Uh, there will be a reason to use tokens to prove the authenticity of something. But a lot of the uses today just are either scammy or illegitimate. I look forward to the day... I can go to McDonald's, just pay with a digital currency from my phone, assuming that we've figured out the security issues. But I don't, I, I expect that day that the burger will still cost three digital dollars and won't change every five seconds. See, that is the whole point though. Like you can go to McDonald's and pay with your phone. Apple Pay. Yeah, yeah. with Google real pay money. Yeah, yeah. What does cryptocurrency solve that they don't didn't already? And by the way, Apple Pay now, Apple just announced, and I'm sure Google Wallet already has it. You can take transactions. Now, Apple Pay is not just you to providers. They're releasing it so other people can pay you through Apple Pay to your phone. So the only real reason for cryptocurrency is libertarians that want to get people that regulate cash away from it. And... To me, that's either because you're criminal and you want to hide stuff because you don't believe in taxes or you're doing something criminal I, I, or you just don't trust the government. And maybe there's times not to trust the government, but I'm sorry, things like taxes, if we have a society, if you live in a society in a government, taxes exist. You have to figure out what's the right amount, but I don't believe in creating a currency just so I can avoid having to pay the government something uh, when the government is providing services. So I, I, I agree with you. There will be digital transactions. And uh, this decentralized idea is kind of a pipe dream compared to how society yeah, really works. But anyways, good on the uh, the FBI and I guess the IRS for tracking down these criminals. Uh, I hope some more details come out of this because it, it sounds like they did make some effort to try and hide their tracks. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm you know, probably depositing old. into shared pools and withdrawing is kind of a clever way of doing it. But the the husband too is he Ilya Lichtenstein. He like he there's he's involved in tech companies too. They weren't stupid people. They were technical savvy folks. I just couldn't help but go down the kind of uh, Heather and him both have a a, a public internet history and they're they, they're eclectic. <laughs> And 100%. And they just blew away $4.5 billion by not having better options. But I'm actually, I, I don't, I'm glad they did it because they were criminals. Correct. Yes. <laughs> yep. Anyways, remember, kids, crime doesn't pay. I, I have to, I'm, shoot, I can't get off the soapbox, Mark. But there's like, there's Hollywood, uh, people I even like. Uh, what 70s guy's name? I can't think of the actor right now. I mean, there's people that are supporting publicly all kinds of cryptocurrency things that are turning out to be scams. I, I just, I, the public needs to, to think. I mean, what interests me about these is these were public technical company folks. Like they weren't hiding their involvement in Bitcoin in general, and they were creating companies around it. And they themselves are the biggest criminals. 
we see all these big wallets and exchanges being hacked. And are they hacked? Could it be the people pushing cryptocurrency? Are the people profiting off it? I, I just, it's, it seems to be happening more often than not. As Corey is saying, wake up, sheeple. <laughs> I'm with you on that, though. It's the whole thing just has this slight tinge of scam through most of it. And, you know, like we, like we keep saying, there are legitimate uses, but I feel like we're not past the, uh, the exploitive, uh, you know, gold rush stage of it yet. And and the, I think the true problem is utopia decentralization, which is what people want to have privacy to not have someone have control over them. The problem with decentralization is it's also deregulation, which makes it easy for scams to happen. So the sad truth, in my opinion, is the dream of decentralization, even if the intention for why you personally want to decentralize is good, is what opens it up to all the scams. We need to realize that centralization, having a body you trust, even though trust is changes every day, that's why sometimes nations aren't trusted decades later when they were trusted before, it's just how the world works. If you decentralize, there is nothing to trust and you get what you pay for. Yeah, 100%. Well, on that note, who wants to buy a freshly minted 443 podcast NFT? <laughs> I hope many. We need some more budget. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. As always, if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you have any questions on today's topics or suggestions for future episode topics, you can reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at XORRO underscore. Corey is at SecAdept. And the both of us are at hashtag the 443podcast. Thanks again for listening, and you will hear from us next week.